This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. In this episode, I welcome Mostafa Rutsari. Mustafa is the co-founder, along with Chris Mackey, of Ladybug Tools, where they are making environmental design knowledge and tools freely accessible to every person, project, and design process. I'm sure that you've heard of it. This was my first time talking with Mustafa, and in this episode, we discuss the evolution of AEC design software, whether architects are asking the right questions during design, why optimization matters in architecture, especially in relation to climate change and resiliency, the origin and evolution of Ladybug tools, and perhaps the most important development that they've released yet, which of course they couldn't have done without doing all the other stuff, their pollination apps and cloud service, which are brand new. This was a fantastic conversation with Mustafa, and I hope you'll not only find value in it for yourself, but that you'll help add value to the profession by sharing it with your network. Like many of these episodes, the conversation and message is bigger than any one listener. It's something the entire profession should hear and act upon. So I hope that you'll take me up on my invitation to share it with your colleagues and help elevate the industry with me. So without further ado, I bring you Mostafa Rudsari. Mustafa, welcome to the podcast. It's great to meet you and and see you over the over the interwebs today. But I this is this is going to be fun. I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Seems like we've been kind of circling in the well, let's just say in the same circles for for a while, and uh, this is a great first connection. And I, you've definitely come up on the podcast before when I had Conrad on the show. He was a very early guest, and and he he really he. You were one of his early mentors, and he gave you a shout out on that show. He, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. Um, so, so you should definitely be aware of that. But uh, so you've had a huge influence on the architectural and digital, you know, technology community over the years. And so maybe you can just give kind of a overview of how you became the developer of Ladybug Tools and how you got to where you are and why why it's important to you. I think those are the kinds of things that the audience is really interested in is the why side of things. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Ladybug was, uh, I, I call it now, was like a test project that became more successful than like what I was hoping, which is a great thing, which is a great problem to have. But Ladybug is basically um, my... Um, my my solution to make my life easier when I was working at Adrian Smith Gordon Gale. And um, yeah, I, I started like we had a lot of, if you don't know the office, like they are, if, if some people don't know the office, Adrian Smith Gordon Gale, they do very large projects. They are the architects for the Kingdom Tower, which will be uh, the tallest tower. And they, Adrian and Gordon Bose coming from S1, and they have been involved in very high-rise towers all around the world. 
And uh, when I joined, I joined as an architect slash uh, environmental building, uh, whatever, that there was no position for that at the time. And that's the interesting part, I think, because I think one of the things that Ladybug Tools and tools like Viva and Climate Studio now has done, like now there is a position for this. So you can go in an office and be like a specialist in doing this. At the time, there was no such a thing. So I was an architect with a background in environmental building design too. And uh, I had to do this very large studies on very large projects. And it was a mix of, you know, like get geometry, put some in Excel, write some code, run something in Radiance, some something in Energy Plus, bring them back, put them in InDesign, and like do some visualization. But then the design has changed. Yeah. Exactly. And right. then like do it again. And then I started to write some automation uh, using MATLAB at the time. And some MATLAB code and then convinced the office that we should buy a license of MATLAB because I can automate all these things for you. And it looked very interesting. And like we started to do optimization and then I became that guy in the office who, you know, like projects would go through. And then there were a lot of great things that I learned, including uh, going back to Ladybug, the fact that I'm not helping the design process. Because I felt, um, and you know, I was younger and you know, when you're young and <laughs> you, you value technology more than I think uh, what you're trying to solve. I think that's kind of a sign of being naive and young to me. And one of the things that I did, I, one of the projects that we did for optimization, I made the Excel file and said, this is the building we want to optimize. You guys think, I mean, I didn't say it like that, but like, if you know what are the best parameters based on your experience, give it to me. And then I'm running an optimization with a computer. And then we compare. And com- computer won for that specific problem, like after setting up and everything. And it felt good, but for a week. Because then after that, I saw like these people with years of experience, now they lost their confidence. They can't draw a line. Every, like people would just stop by and say, Mustafa, can you optimize this? I'm like, optimize what? <laughs> <That's> what <I'm laughs> I'm just like, for what? And they're like, just what did you do for that building? You optimize it. I'm like, what's your question? They're like, okay, what should be the, what shape is better? And I'm like, what's your location? They're like, in that city. I'm like, this. They're like, how do you know that? I'm like, I know where the sun is. You don't yeah. need optimization <laughs> for that. <laughs> that is such an interesting point. Let, let's pause there for a second. because, And I do want to get back and let you continue the story. But there is a lot of that in architecture, which is experience and it's, I know where the sun is. I know my the climate in this area. And and architecture can get very specific to that, where practices can be very localized and regionalized, right? And those things are intuitive over time to architects who continue to practice in those areas. And those things aren't necessarily codified. And if they are, um, like in, in software like Ladybug Tools, that might open it up to a different generate a younger generation who doesn't have that experience. So I think they're both important, but it's also very interesting to be like, I don't need the software to do that because I already know that that's intuitive into me. But it, it's hard. There, there's another group of people in this equation who don't believe it unless the computer does it, right? Does it. No, and, and that makes sense. And I should also add that for me, that city, I knew where the city was and I had mm-hmm. an idea. There will be other cities that I have no idea. Sure. And, and it depends and, on the firm, right? And, and how broad right, their and practice Right, and where the project yeah. goes. And we had right. a lot of projects in China. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this one in, in KL, like Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And that was, that was the thing that I started to realize of, 
what am I trying to do with all this optimization algorithms? And at the time, even like machine learning wasn't the term. We had neural network, and that was the next thing I was working on, like building a neural network for like you know pushing a building in and getting something out. And I stopped. And that was my ladybug moment of, of what are you doing? Like, are you? And and I'm a very you know, I'm a tech, like I'm that generation that did everything by hand and then immigrated to technology. So I'm not like I didn't start it. I'm not a technology citizen. So I really value the things that when you do things by hand, I understand that I have been through that. It has been painful. And, and I fought like every level to get technology in when I was in school, in the off everywhere, because people didn't want that. But I'm not. Like, I'm not that kind of people of say, like, this or that. I think they both have their, yep, they have, like, their own uh, place. And that was the time I realized we need a tool to show people where the sun is. We need a tool to show, like, this is how the wind goes. Like, quickly get a sense of temperature versus humidity versus comfort. All this. And, of course, we had Excel files that would do that. But it wasn't inside Rhino, which was most of massing was happening. And then... I basically said, okay, I have this MATLAB code and uh, I Python, Grasshopper Python component just came out. Like, what if I learn Python and see what I can do there? And th- that was it. That was like the starting point. I just built a SunPath component and I remember I showed it to for a project. And then, and the thing was, again, like, it's interesting I say that, but I couldn't do any of this for the project too at the time because there was no such a concept of me spending time developing a tool to help the project. So I had to do it on my own time. I'm not saying it is like a bad thing. I just like, that was the culture. It's just like, that was the expectation. And, and then, uh, yeah, it was some path. Then I did something for radiation. Then um, I had a great friend of mine, Anthony Viola. He's still at uh, Edwin Smith, Gordon Gill. We basically started to think about this. We built this box that you could move things around and it was just, it would run some study and then map the results back on top of, uh, there is a video. I think that's, years old, but uh, I can share it with you on YouTube. And we had to stay for that long enough for all the buildings around to turn off their lights because the, the camera that we had was really cheap and bad. <laughs> so we had to wait like, because it was just like mess around. So we had to wait enough for people to come clean up, like turn off the lights, only emergency lights are on. So now we can test it. But anyway, so that was a collection of the scripts that I put together and then they became big enough. I started uh, sharing them project by project. And I was like on the comp- competition theme most of the time that I was. There. So I would move like project to project every two weeks. So I was like spreading this uh, grasshopper component to different teams of like, hey, let's do it like this. And then uh, at some point it felt like this is something that can be a component that I can share with uh, the larger audience. And yeah, I went through that. You know, like at the time, again, like now I remember all this, that uh, there was no good way to, um, to package a Python plugin for Grasshopper because the Python thing, and I just hacked everything together just to get it to work. That's why I say it was an experiment. It's because you're an architect, yeah. You're comfortable Maybe. with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm very comfortable with that. <laughs> it's like, like, it's like, you know, a study model, right? It's just like, right. rip a wall out, throw something else in, and it, it's all hacking at some it, level. It should work, yeah. If it, if it solves your problem at the time, it's a great thing. And then things have started to become more stable. Then I did open source from the start, so it was. And I started, like, supporting community around it, the start. And then I met Chris Mackey, which 
Chris basically came in and then he um, uh, brought all the comfort knowledge that he had because my, my, my knowledge was limited to what I could do. And then I had this uh, approach of releasing them one by one. So when I released Ladybug, I had what's called Honeybee now uh, for energy and daylight simulation, but I didn't release it for about a year and a half. And I rewrote it like three times. I think only myself and Chris used that initial version of that we never released until, until we released it. Because again, I'm very traditional in a sense of like, we need time for people to learn this before they jump to to more advanced studies. So let's build the community. Let's build the knowledge base and then do a honeybee. And we did honeybee and then, you know, butterfly and dragonfly. and uh, I don't know. And now we are working on pollination. Right. So, wow. It's quite a road. Yeah. I mean, this is that. And, and what, give us an idea of the overall time frame that all of this happened. Um, I'm not good with dates. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. That's why I put it up pollination website. Uh, but I can I can go there and, and uh, let you know. Uh, so I I, I I mean this is a nerdy joke, uh, but I the that like data in my mind is like a dictionary, not like a list. The difference is like dictionary is hashed. There is no like you just key value. List is ordered, and I don't know when things happened. I just know what happened. Like it's just like if you tell me. I have a hard time to know, like if it was like two months ago, it was like five months ago. I just know I, it was something. Yeah, I have podcast amnesia. I don't even remember what I've talked about <laughs> on previous shows. So I, okay. I, I, I definitely can, I understand what you're saying. So I have it here now. 2013, uh, Ladybug happened. Then uh, February 2014 was Honeybee for Daylight. Uh, 2014, September, we did Honeybee for Energy. Then... Uh, 2015, I started refactoring everything. And during the refactoring, 2016, we uh, released Dragonfly. 2017, we did Butterfly. And at that time, like, Ladybug Tools was a thing. Like, it was big enough. Like, and in 2018, we started the company, Ladybug Tools LLC, Chris and myself, because it got to... And I changed jobs, like, during this time from, you know, architect. Then I became an integration application developer at Thornton Thomas City, and then I, I took a job at uh, University of Pennsylvania to teach because it was just like project was too big for me to have it as a side job. So teaching would give me more time to also develop this, and I was teaching the same thing. And then in 2018, it became that moment of we said, okay, let's make it a company. Either we are going to make it or it's just... Um, it's, I have I can't do this <laughs> like because it was it's so big like too big you had to make it project. legitimate <laughs> right right you can put it that way and then when we started that we, we started as consulting company but um, then we, we always had this idea of cloud competing and like collaboration around this and this is a civil limited only to grasshopper users and grasshopper is a lot of people are frightened of grasshopper and how it works and we applied uh, we, we teamed up with this with a few cloud providers and they either went out of business or it didn't work out. And yeah, and uh, we even worked with Flux. Uh, we were working with Flux at the time that they had to, uh, what they called it? They called it, they didn't say they closed down. They changed their business. I don't know they what pivoted. they pivoted. Yeah. Pivoted. Yeah. That's <laughs> the Thank you so much. <laughs> they pivoted before they doing the, the pivot. And then we applied for a grant, a SBIR grant, and we got that grant. 
Um, and that helped a lot to start pollination as, as an official project because it's really hard. And, and software development is a very expensive business in general, and it takes a long time. So from 2018, August 2018, that we started pollination, which we didn't call pollination at the time, of course, we called it Ladybug Tools Cloud or something, to 2021, we started our early access. So it took about less than three years to just rewrite everything for being this cloud-based interactive ecosystem of tools, which is wow. pollination. Wow. That's a, that's quite the timeline. So so you're looking at almost 10 years, call it call it eight to nine years to go through all of that and the refactoring. And like you said, writing software is difficult and takes a long time, not unlike large architectural projects, right? But I think it's it's interesting the disconnect between architects and having in-house software development teams and and still not understanding how long it actually takes to do that stuff, right? It's like, but it's just like what you do, but different, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's different, right? There is a difference between something that runs on your machine and something that everyone all around the world can open mm-hmm. and it runs. Mm-hmm. So something runs on your machine, I can do in two weeks, for example, let's say. The same thing, if it needs to run on every environment everywhere, it can take a very long time. And that's kind of like what pollination apps are. We want you to be able to build something in two weeks and deploy it, and it just works. And that, that's the concept of like, that's what, what we call pollination. I don't know if you have seen pollination apps videos that I shared, but that has been a thing that we learned during all this time of, that's a real problem, you know, like if a good solution is going to take a very long time to, to get to market, then it will be very specific to a smaller number of people who can do that. I think one of the things that Grasshopper with all its limitations did for us or for, as the Grasshopper community was allowing people to go from idea to something that works pretty quickly. And then they could distribute that internally like in the office, yeah. right. right? A prototype that works pretty well, that that like you know gets 90 percent of what you need done and i think that's what we are trying to do with pollination apps out not inside rhino grasshopper and outside revit the sketchup i think this shouldn't be our problem like regardless of where you design the building you should have access to this logic and this logic should be reusable you shouldn't have those roadblocks so that that can't happen right like that you're enabling that to happen is the whole purpose behind pollination cloud platform correct i use i use google map as an example you know like you can use google map from your phone from your computer if your phone is android if it's like you know iphone uh like you have macro system doesn't matter you can access the same logic and they didn't rewrite the whole thing for every platform. they have a lot of that shared there is a small layer of like the wrapper yeah right customizing it so it can interact from all these platforms now think about that, and pollination apps are those. You, we have an app for like load calculation. Doesn't matter if your model is uh, prepared in Revit, Rhino, Grasshopper. You know, like uh, we don't have a plugin for ArchiCAD. I know people are uh, saying that like every other day on LinkedIn yet, but SketchUp. You know, but then that layer of connection is very small, and as soon as you finish that, you have all this reusable logic to me Google Maps, which is great. Because then I can fix that. I can make this better. And it's like, like, you know, like I have been through this in the office. We were like, oh, we developed this as a Grasshopper plugin. Now you want it for Rhino. Okay, let me do a Rhino plugin. And now people are, we want it for Revit. 
let's develop this for Revit. You, you, you share the DLLs, but still it's a different thing that you have to develop. I think that's not the right way of doing it. Um, and yeah, that, that's, the, that's where Polynesian is right now. It started as a cloud computing really idea, but then uh, early on we realized uh, to get people to cloud computing, there are a lot of issues that people are dealing with. You know, and, and unlike tech companies who have this uh, infrastructure already built for them with these larger firms, open source available, you basically pick and choose, you know, and you get to the point of like getting it started. We had to build a lot of them ourselves, which I really dislike. But you know what? That's the challenge. And if you have to do it right, you have to do it right. So, so is do you see pollination as being kind of a, an, a library of functions, apps that people can just check out basically uh, at will whenever they want and, and share with, with teams and things like that? Okay. It's like the app store. For like for environmental building design, and you can, uh, similar to how apps are for a phone, you can download it on your phone and run it locally on your phone, or you can use it. So apps that use a stale cloud resources once you're running it on your phone. Okay, so th- that's how it's different than like Hydro, right? Back in that was more of just a repository of oh, scripts yes. that you had to download and run it on your computer. But right. here, you're actually saying it's actually running in the cloud. It's running in the cloud, but you can basically deploy. It's just like a, you, you can see the preview on the cloud, or you can deploy it and use it on the cloud in a scale. Or you can say, you know what, I don't want to pay for cloud, or like because we can't push this project on cloud, we just want to run it locally. Then you can deploy it locally. It's just like how you install an app on your phone, and then use it locally. Basically, the logic should be should be the thing that you can you know deploy. Yep, that you should make it portable and you should make it scalable. Because how many some paths do we want to write right. for all the different? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a, well, this has been the complaint in the industry for years and years and years is everybody has their own version of the same thing, right? Yeah. And it's still, I honestly don't think we can resolve that necessarily. But I want you to have the same version of the same thing by spending two days customizing the thing that we built for you that takes you very close to what you want. And then you can personalize it. That's fine. I, I would think that there would be advantages to doing that for practices that are regionalized, localized, right? Because you don't you don't need everything, every different location out there to be accessible, for instance. You don't need you only do maybe certain market types of buildings, right? You you work in certain verticals, right? So I could definitely see that kind of last let's call it the last mile, right, for each one of those kind of apps to be customizable, but to get you eighty, ninety percent of the way there as a standard is, is a fantastic resource to have available. Yeah, you don't start from scratch for things that, that has happened. And then you still have the option to customize it to be what you need. You know, that, that's, that's where things get really hard because customization by itself is something that you can do. And there are people who do customization. You know, I can develop a custom script for every project. Then you start to think, okay, this is a script. I want to productize it. I want to be a product. Then building a product is also is not that hard if you just think, okay, I mean, they're all hard in a way, but they're easier than what, what I, you really want. So the product people say, oh, this is something, there is market for it. So let me put this as a product and everyone single click, run the life factor, run the life factor everywhere. Life, and then you say, I don't, 
this location doesn't need the life factor reg- or I need this extra post-processing. And that's where you get stuck right now with the solutions out there. And like, we can't do that, right? This is what we offer. And this is a standardized because we want to scale. We want everyone to use. But what if you have a solution that says, you want to add that? Okay, this is the base. Everything is available. Add that small layer on top. Customize it for what you need, but you don't have to rewrite the whole daylight factor recipe. You don't have to rewrite the whole logic to create an analytical model. You don't have to do any of that. The places that we want to make change usually is very close to that post-processing visualization, making data to some information, to some visualization to be able to communicate what you want. And I want people to spend the time there instead of spending all the time building the whole infrastructure to make this possible. And we didn't even talk about maintenance, right? Because the other thing that comes with all the solutions is when you develop them, who is going to maintain them? And I have seen that in many offices. I mean, that I worked with or we talked to, like you have that person in your office that provides all this and that person leaves. Right. And that thing is going to go down. Everything just stagnates from that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to think about it from a, <laughs> the positions that do or don't exist in every firm has kind of a different recipe on the personnel side of that as well. And so to your point, if people do move around, it kind of leaves, they leave that librarian kind of post of wh- what happens to that stuff. Do people continue to use it? And it doesn't, and it, it's either broken because the software gets that the host software gets updated or there's so many different, different factors in there that that can totally hose it. Yeah, software is, if, if your software has even a single dependency, then it's a dynamic thing. You can't keep it working. Like, I mean, there are concepts like packaging and everything, but especially for CAD plugins, when you develop plugins, what you said, Rhino is the new version. Revit will have SketchUp. And at some point, either you have to stay like years behind because of this single thing only runs here, which you don't want to happen, or you have to opt in and then like, all the time and money that you put for that thing to happen is technically gone. Um, and I have been, you know, approached by the offices after I leave, they're like, can you rerun this thing? I was like, I can't because I honestly don't remember what that project was. I don't know where was the script. It's not that I don't want to. want to, but... I honestly can't. But I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, it, there are cases that I didn't want to, but I think like that shouldn't be a problem in the industry because now, like one of the other things about pollination is because you have this uh, concept of, you know, a repository, a project. So when you run this, it's there until you delete it. So you can always keep them available and ready to be visualized, ready to be recycled or, you know, coming back from the ashes. So you don't do the Phoenix thing. So you don't, you don't end up with that problems. And again, a lot of these concepts we borrowed from software development. Software, they do that. This like GitHub is designed to do this. It, we didn't have to come up with a lot of these concepts. We just had to, yeah, we just had to learn and just say, this can be a very good use case for us. Let's just use it. Let's just make it accessible to, to AEC. Yeah. Well, there's... I, I, I know there's a lot of people out there who know exactly what the tools are that you're offering, but I think there's probably people who've never used it or maybe never heard of it. I'm sure they've heard of it, but, but maybe never use it. Can you just give kind of a rundown of what's possible with like your shirt says 
you know, I, and I assume it's love simulation, <laughs> right? And it's, and it's the, the, this, this idea of, you know, we talked earlier about the idea of um, software as a prototype. I mean, a lot of buildings are prototypes, right? And the whole idea behind simulation is to make it less of a prototype. It is to actually gain the insight during design of how the building is going to perform so that, you know, we can be held to a certain standard of accountability and actually put our money where our mouths are as like this is what the building is going to do when it's built and so maybe you can just give us some insight uh, and a segment of the audience who's never used these simulation or optimization tools before or heard of what's possible so they don't even know they don't they don't connect the dots of what the name of the software is with what it can actually do give us a rundown on that right so i start from uh Ladybug. So Ladybug tools is a set of tools, a set of plugins to help you uh, run environmental studies. And I go one by one, what are the differences? So Ladybug is focused on uh, weather data analysis. So if you want to know like, okay, in this location, what's the temperature looks like? What's the humidity looks like? Where the sun is? Run quick radiation studies. Run quick sunlight average studies. If you want to understand where the sun hits you the most, where to put your window, which windows need pr- protection without getting into building. You want to understand the massing. That's where you use Ladybug. And all these plugins are plugins for Grasshopper, the Ladybug tools ones. Then Honeybee, at some point when you work on that, you'll get to the point of, okay, I like this, I like the form, but what's the daylight looks inside? What about the time, how the light comes in? What my form is going to affect that? How does it look like all around the year? So that's when you move to Honeybee. Honeybee is a plugin that allows you to run daylight uh, and energy uh, and comfort simulation. I mean, uh, Ladybug also allows you to do that thermal and visual comfort. And and just to break in here for a moment, I think why this is really important is especially in these larger firms. I mean, there's a fundamental breakdown in the practice of architecture, which is the people who do the work never get to visit the site. Even if they do visit the site, it's one hour for one day of the year. And so we're looking at information that's been collected over years, even decades in many cases. And and that information gives us the kinds of environmental factors that need to be designed for that encompass the life of the project, right? That to me is, you know, there's a fundamental breakdown. So how can we help solve for that and that is in software like this right it actually gives people the information they need to make the right decisions that affect the life of the building right and even if you have been you know like lived in that city you know a lot of things about it as as you design buildings uh, things can get really complicated really fast i mean like the way i say it, like when people come in and they the first question they ask for the project is like how much radiation I get on this window? I'm like, okay, this much. I'm like, okay, how much radiation we get on the roof of this atrium? I'm like this much. Okay, how does it affect all the thermal comfort inside all these spaces when I connect this atrium to this room and then open something here and put like some It's all here? connected. Then yeah. like it's connected. And this is really hard to model now. Like we, we move from Lady... And that's one of the uh, things that Ladybug Tools offer is that it lets you grow as your project grows and as your questions evolve, the software can evolve with yourself. This is not a, and that's what we call toolkit versus tool. Like that's our, we don't give you a tool that only does one thing like a hammer, right? Because if you have a hammer and then if you deal with a screw, you know, you are deep. 
So like then you don't want that to happen. So the same thing with, with Ladybug. The concept is you design, you ask questions, you build your way during the process to answer your next question. So you get to daylight, you get to energy, you get to comfort. And Honeybee, the, one of the main differences between Ladybug and Honeybee is Honeybee uses some external third-party simulation engines for more validated to study. We use like Radiance for daylight simulation, Energy Plus and Open Studio for energy simulation. The mix of the two for comfort simulation. And then that will give you honeybee. And then you start asking, okay, thank you for daylight and energy, but how does the air moves inside this atrium? Or how does the air moves around my building? I just draw those arrows in Illustrator. There's a blue one and there's a red one. And that's what I call it. I call it arrows of hope. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so this is not arrows of hope. Okay. Yeah. That's arrows of hope. Like, oh, like the air comes here because I decided it goes back. And it goes here and cools down itself and waits there for like 20 minutes or more. So, and then comes out from here because that person just walked in. Why not? So, yeah. So then that comes Butterfly, which is for CFD simulation or computation of fluid dynamics. Also, CFD stands for color for designers. Okay. How people are <laughs> That's what it. we need to, to yeah. be able to understand yeah. what's actually happening. Yeah. But if you do it right, uh, CFD is computer fluid dynamic, and Butterfly is there to help you to do this airflow simulation if you want uh, to, to also, you can put, push the result of airflow simulation back to Honeybee to do more accurate comfort studies and all that. So mainly like the things that architects deal with usually is outdoor comfort for wind speed, then it's outdoor comfort based on radiation and wind speed. That's where Butterfly basically adds on top of a honeybee and ladybug. And finally, you can scale in a different way. And that's one, okay, I have one building and it's great. What about like a combination of buildings? What if, what if I want to do energy sharing with this building? What if I have an urban design project? How do I model that? And that's where Dragonfly comes in. And Dragonfly adds another engine called UrbanOpt that's developed by National Renewable Energy Lab again. And we work with them and gives you access to UrbanOpt, OpenStudio, and all those to do studies in the scale of like urban, urban scale of studies. So that's how things get are different. So a survey ladybug, work with six months something, you get to Honeybee, Honeybee is easy to work, then maybe you need a touch of Butterfly at some point, and if you get urban projects, you can use Dragonfly. And we see all of this, and this designed like an ecosystem, so you can go between them and they all talk to each other, and I think that's the point. We don't want people to make a model, just put it out there, restart. And that's one of the things with Ladybug tools I'm proud of is this uh, workflow between architects and engineers and engineers with different specialties and consultants. We can all work using the same platform. We didn't have this. It used to be like, oh, I work with this thing. Thank you for all the data. I'm redrawing everything from scratch again. Yeah, thank you for doing all those considerations in your design. We're not going to consider any of those for our thing. So this is what we get. So those are ladybug tools. Now pollination, why did you need pollination if you had all this? So ladybug tools had two limitations, major limitations in my mind. One was it was grasshopper only. And that was making it very limited to a group of people who who knew how to use Grasshopper. Yeah, a minute ago and, you said everybody can use the same tools, right? And it's like asterisk if they all use Rhino and Grasshopper or right. maybe your Revit inside Rhino. Or Revit, Revit, right. Rhino inside Revit, sorry. Rhino inside Revit. <laughs> yeah. Everything inside everything. 
Right. But now, actually, that's kind of like what pollination is too. Like pollination is changing that. But with pollination, we added a cat plugin for Rhino. We added a cat plugin for Revit. And then we built uh, cloud computing uh, and we built a cloud repository, the marketplace that I, we just talked about, called Pollination Gallery. So with the combination of all of this, now we are bringing the best of Ladybug tools in, in all these tools. And we're also building a collaboration layer uh, on top of all these workflows that I just mentioned using Pollination Platform itself. So these are the two, for me, the two things was like, it was limited inside Grasshopper and the collaboration piece was missing. Grasshopper is not necessarily great for, as a collaboration tool. It's great for building a prototype, but then you get a suck uh, when it comes to collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grasshopper is great for one person at a time working on a thing and, but kind of like code, right? If, if they don't, build the script the same way you do. They don't comment it. It's somebody else needs to get in there and do something with it. I mean, not, not only can two people not work in it at the same time, as far as collaboration goes, but, but collaboration is difficult with workflows and methods and th- thinking of the way the system works and even to deploy it. I mean, there's the UI, you know, obviously Andrew human has done work to help make it accessible to more people. When you're inside Rhino, you don't have to open the script necessarily, right. And get in there and and rewire things. But even there, it's still hard for people to kind of digest and and take it on. I mean, there are things. So the good thing about code is because for a very long time, people have been working together, collaborating to develop software, writing code. There are uh, tool sets, like again, GitHub is the, the one that most people know. Like there are ways to compare code. There are ways to version code. There are ways to understand what has changed. There are ways to test code. There are ways to go back if things fail. It's this whole other layer though, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Where, where software doesn't have any of that. Right. And pollination apps, by abstracting the logic into Python code in the apps, now we can use all that. So I can tell you like if this apps works in this version, in this version is containerized, it works. As long as the connections to the cap plugins are there, it will work forever. And I can see the differences within each version. Grasshopper challenge that we had in offices, in larger offices, it happens. It's just, you just give a script to someone. They come in and edit something. There is no versioning you don't know. They might make a mistake or you just forget. You just go open the file. You run it for someone else. Assume it's I mean, correct. Yep. I, and then you just see it and like, and, oh my God, what happened? And now you can't even, there is no quick way of seeing like what, what has changed between the two versions. And that's a big problem because that's a liability problem to me. You know, like you don't know what are you running. You think you know, but you don't. And that was just not efficient. I think that's one of the things that we're trying to resolve with Polish. I mean, just to make sure for the I, I love Grasshopper and what it has done. And I think there is. I said like I'm. I'm. You. You will hear me saying that I don't think anything is bad or good if you use it right. It. It has a place. The things that are good, it has a place and at and a time for using. It has its own. Like and you wouldn't be where you are without it, right? Yeah, Most oh, likely. Yeah. The whole industry wouldn't be where they are, like the tech. Uh, us, we wouldn't be where we are without, without the tool, without the community. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. In this podcast, I talk a lot about all the realities with my guests. You know, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, all the realities. And I've got a new message for you from my friends at Avail. Let's talk about the new reality, which is that content, as I've talked about in the previous message from them, 
both wants and needs to live everywhere. Long gone are the days of saving files to your local hard drive or to a single on-premises server. In order to solve remote collaboration, information has moved to the edge. The cloud is king, and the number of cloud services out there dictate that the number of storage locations will continue to grow dramatically. Where do you store your files? BIM 360, OneDrive, SharePoint, Box, Dropbox, AWS, Azure. Chances are you probably save them in some weird combination of those that I just mentioned and more. Well, here's the point of this message. Avail hides the complexity of where content and information resides. What file to use used to be your biggest concern. Now it's where do all those files live? Avail takes where out of the equation, which means that with Avail, you can actually find your mission-critical and not-so-critical files too, right when you need them. Avail helps get you the information you need faster. Go to getavail.com today to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. One of the things about, you know, environmental analysis optimization is, you know, you are taking data that's been collected, applying it to design and seeing an outcome. And it's like you said, it's kind of color for designers, CFD, right? <laughs> so that, but there, what I've seen personally in practice is a breakdown in knowing what that information actually means, or let's call it actually interpreting that information. Is there anything going on from your side of that to help people understand what's actually going on because i think a lot of times this is just kind of a checklist thing right it's like yep i ran the analysis what's next and so how can we actually use that analysis to gain insight so that the design actually does get better and we can have kind of that iterative process in there and see how the decision making affects the outcomes and then continue to improve on the prototypes right to kind of get back to our our earlier statement about buildings being prototypes but also like this process is very prototype prototypical right it's like this we iterate on it we we go back how how are you looking at that side of it because i i'm sure you see it even more than because you're seeing the whole industry use your tools in that in that regard and and how do they use it more effectively it's very iterative uh process before I answer that question, I want to give credit for color for designer. I think Greg said it first from HOK. Greg Zuzner. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we'll give Greg credit. Credit, <laughs> credit for, for saying Very CFD important. color for designer. I think he said that, if I remember correctly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't want to take credit from uh, good things that other people have done. But going back, and, and now I sound like, like Polynesian apps, Polynesian apps for everything. So that's, that's one of the other things that we are trying to address with pollination apps. And because of this flexibility of now, you can do some post-processing without a lot of cost and time to build something new. You can get to various specific questions. I think one of the disconnects has been between how architects ask questions and how the tools that we design work in a way. So... An architect asks usually, like, is it a good design, right? We say, you can run annual daylight simulation for this, or you can run your load calculation for this. That was not the question. The question was, like, is it a good design? Or, like, how can I make this better, you know? So how 
because if I think if you can align with those type of questions, you, you can you can help the the change. So then you can start asking. Uh, okay, saying okay, is a good building is not a great question. What is your real concern? Let's talk. And then people can start asking like, do I get enough daylight in this space? And then I can say, okay, what is the definition of enough daylight? And are you concerned about glare too, or is it just like you don't get enough daylight because it's just like a very, you know, um, like you know, high density area? And then based on that, okay, you want to know if you get enough daylight. This is the app to run it. So the app shouldn't be called daylight factor simulation or annual daylight. And then if you can get that, like you know, try to answer. And you don't need to have like an app for every question. A lot of this can be shared. But I think this user interface that people access this kind of simulation needs to change. Like that's one of the things that I want to build or someone else can build it as an app that instead of coming in and say, let's run simulation, it asks this question that they ask you. What are you trying to do? What's your main concern? And then based on that, if I know what's your main concern, I can do an automated way of saying like, if you were looking for enough daylight, this percentage of the area doesn't get enough daylight. So these are the solutions that we have. You can play with materials, you can, you can add more glass, but be concerned about heating that can happen, you know, or your space is just too deep. You can't get where you want to get because those are like, again, and that I think is something that a designer can take and say, oh, okay, let me now test and see like which one I can change. I can't change the glass because we don't have money or something. I don't want to make it smaller or bigger. So this is a reality. And I think the other thing that we need to educate people to be more effective is I have seen, you know, like people are afraid to say this is not 100% result. Like, not 100% of your building should always be daylit. That's just not the goal. I have seen crazy people doing crazy things for a, for a staircase to get, like, 100% daylight. No one sits there and read the book. And if they do, they're crazy. Just tell them, like, move, right? And that's the wrong focus. And I think that's one of the other realistic things that these tools make them more friendly, have a good communication. Because when I talk to architects, or in the, you know, like, you can have conversation. People want designs to be better. But there is a lot of fear there's a lot of fear of like showing to uh, your custom client something and like there is blue there and they don't feel comfortable to say this is blue and this should be blue and it's actually good. That's why you get all the yellow here, which is good. If I want to make that yellow, your cost is going to be up and you're never there. You know, I think that that's the way to, to change it from a simulation to a communication, to change it from something that I run to something that I consult with to get my a better design out of it. It's, it's interesting to think about AI and how people are using it to analyze the output for you. And, and I, I'm not expecting you to say that you guys are looking at that or not because humans are really good at pattern recognition. And if you look at an, Im, at an image and you see blue over here and yellow over here, you, you should know what those mean, right? So that you can have those conversations and so that you can be proactive about the communication that's happening between you and your team or you and your client or, or whatever, it seems like um, through, I don't know if AI is the right answer or just, you know, let's just put it in that bucket for now. One of the things I talked with Scott Reynolds at, at Upcodes about quite a long time ago was because they're, you're inputting some constraints into the code, right? The building code. And it's so construction, you start looking at construction type, you're looking at allowable areas you're looking at all of these things and one of the goals that he had was for the software to be able to prompt the input person the designer with some questions that they should just be thinking about not answers but questions is that something that that is interesting to you guys as well 
So the AI part, I think, I, I don't, I don't think we need that anytime soon, at least on on this side. And I know people will uh, put it against me, like, yeah, like, no, you'll you'll get both sides. But, yeah, don't worry. Right, but <laughs> no, I mean, I think where we are uh, in the industry with with the tools that we have, we can do a lot of things before we need to get there. If someone can use AI to make things run faster, I think that's a good good place of using it. But for communication, we have a lot of work that we can do that we don't need within AI. And yeah, and I don't again, mean to even say that that's what Scott was proposing at all. It's just, it just, I I see things that people are doing with AI now, and where it is able to do that analysis much faster and maybe even more accurately, or at least it under it actually understands what the colors are, right? Because the programmer told it, whereas a junior designer may or may not, right? And and you don't know what you're going to get out of that. So that's why I couched it under that bucket of AI, but but please continue. Right. So. I mean, like, I think we, we the thing is, like, that's a technology and, like, how you get there. But I think the key here is communication. And we need better ways to communicate that results back in a way of not telling people. And I think that's something that you put it very well of, like, uh, questions that they need to think think about Not telling like when you I was what doing to do but yeah. consulting yeah right. that was that's always does the trick and when i was at tt we did actually we made a prototype that it was called remote uh what we call it remote something it was basically very similar to what pollination is now in the concept of like you set up a solution a customized solution for someone that they can interact with so engineer or expert sets that up and lets the designer or user to figure it out by some guidance from us. Instead of telling them, this is the optimized one, you can't change it because there are so many other things that comes in. And if you don't have that context of getting there and knowing why you did this, then you have this moment of, can I remove this shit? Can I just rotate it 10 degrees? Can I change the color? Or is it going to break everything? Because I don't know. I have been given this. And that's, that's something that doesn't work. And Yes, I think that that's the part that I'm, I'm talking. The, the thing that makes me excited the most is now we have this live integration between your design slash beam model and this customizable, customized solutions that brings up these things that we couldn't do before because there is no, you don't necessarily need that moment of design is done, let's start simulation or let me send it to someone else. And you don't have that thing of like, this thing needs to be so generalized so it runs for every simulation. You know, one of the problems with automation in environmental design that I have seen is they just so simplify it so everyone can run it and it becomes at some point pointless. It's just like either the study that you're running is not really running for your building because they just simplify the geometry to something that's not even represents your concerns in the building and they don't tell you, but they do that because it should everything now can run because it's very simple or or you're running something that is not answering your question so because if your concern is like see the effect of self-shading and that solver doesn't have it and again they don't tell you you just run all this thing and nothing changes and you're like oh interesting i didn't know that you're right and i think this customized deployable solutions now connected to your design gives us new solutions of like, we can, we can have consulting tools of like, you can say, you come to this app and say, keep track of daylight factor in these three rooms. Keep track of daylight. I shouldn't say that. Keep track of my load because I talked and I can't go higher than this value. And then while you're working, it says it can give you a signal and say, hey, you're reaching that. Or it doesn't tell you like change anything, but just be careful about this. 
or even like from like large offices perspective, we could get insight into design as it progress without like having these people every time, you know, prepare and run and see and wait. Yeah, that that's that's a big one, I think. And that's the that that's the Nick Hardwell that we can get over. And that's why the thing I was saying, like we can do all this thing because now we have an infrastructure built that we can rely on. Before we didn't have that. And that's where all this the difference between prototype and a product that really works. Prototypes works on that model of my machine, right? It won't work on yours. Product should work on 90% of people's problem. And you're enabling with this product that feedback loop to be possible so that you can improve the prototype all through design, right? And design is all of the phases of project delivery, right? Until you, And, and so that that's really interesting that you've, what did it actually take? I mean, can you put, I don't, I'm not asking for like, dollar figures here but but like effort what did it actually take for you to you know from concept to product to actually make this a reality well it i think like if if you consider all the knowledge that we had to gain to get to the point to understand this <laughs> yeah there was <laughs> so that let's, part let's too. talk about that right. right and then it took myself someone like chris mackie who is like a, a genius and a machine at the same time <laughs> Like it's he's really good and he's really good in getting that. Someone like Mingbo Peng, that the same thing, like Antoine, Nick, like the people we have on our team, like Conrad Subban, who worked with us like for the Revit plugin, all these people, and what it took was like a team who is believe in a marathon of like not getting marathon with no spectator. Because when you develop all this infrastructure code and you go all through all these schemas and like we have to standardize this and we have to standardize this. And this is not something that I can show to you or put it on Twitter or like someone. Everyone, oh, you're this is just that pain you go through because you know in two years this will pay back and yeah, pay off. And then you need it, and it takes like some, like some sort of like a I call it like a very specific personality. Usually, these people are not that good in social media. That's our problem. <laughs> because <laughs> you can't market if, yourself very well. <laughs> if, if you are, if you're that kind of mindset, you you can't do this because mm. the amount of time that you do and you think you are very close, and then you're just like when you get close, it's like a submit, and you say, "Oh my god, there's verticalies up there." I was just seeing it in a surface. I thought like I get there, and you have a still to have this persistence and belief of like we can get there. So what it took was one developing a, a standard schema to. Uh, describe the whole building geometry and metadata that you need for all this environmental analysis. Yes, IFC is out there. GBXML was out there. Couldn't do what we needed to do. So we had to develop HVJSON. The other thing, we had to basically come and say for all this simulations, which we call recipe, we need a schema. We need a way to be able to run the same thing locally and on the cloud without making any changes. So if you take tell me this is the instruction of like, this is, these are the steps of simulation that I want to run. Then I can run it on your machine. I can run the same thing on Pollination Cloud. And you don't have to make any changes. And that's what we do with like, we developed on all, our, our own uh, workflow schema, Queenbee. For that one, thank God, like for machine learning people, they are automating a lot of the stuff. There were like a lot of examples, like we use Argo as a technology, but we had to add that layer on top to make it building simulation friendly. So we had to do that. And again, like those are the things that if they work good, you don't see them. They're invisible, right? 
And that's the, the problem with infrastructure. When they're good, you don't even notice them. And no one wants to pay for it. That's another challenge. No one, want, I mean, infrastructure in the U.S., I think like everyone, like no one wants to pay for it. So, so, yeah, like why should I pay? We, we talk about it like a tree, right? You have to build the root. No one is interested. The trunk, nah. Branches, people want the fruit and they pay for the fruit. So all the time that it takes to bring this tree all the way up, that's the effort that we had to put in. And yes, Department of Energy SBIR grant was there. Otherwise, we couldn't do this in three years if we had to do a lot of consulting projects. So the grant helped us to focus, like not doing that many consulting projects, focus on software. And we had to build all this infrastructure to get us to the point of now we know if we send a file from Revit to an app to Rhino to a SketchUp, Rhino to an app back, we don't lose data. We need to, we know if you build something in Rhino plugin and it goes to Grasshopper to Ladybug tools, you're not going to lose any data. Everything is consistent. You really do it once and use it everywhere. That's what I say. We need when you write uh, an app, a uh, pollination app, you can use the same logic from Revit and Rhino. And again, now we have a SketchUp. You don't have to write the app. These are big things for me because it took like a lot of time doing this over and over. And we can't just move forward. That's my problem with i care about buildings and you know like getting it right much more than architecture profession engineering profession everything and it just it's frustrating to see us you know staying and just doing the same thing over and over and you know this dream this very famous thing of like you know someone showing people wheel and they're just like pushing this thing with like a square wheels and they're like and they're like oh don't talk to us we're very busy and I understand why, and like, that's, that's, that's now what, who I am, right? I have this will. Now I have to show to everyone, educate everyone that this is really a will and this is really work. And we put all this time to build it. I'm happy we are now on the other side of it. So we have a, whatever happens to all nation, we built it. It's, it's done. It's doable. This idea, these are not ideas. These are products. You can download them. You can use them right now. And they're going to get better and better from now on. So I think like the big question is like, what will be the response of the industry and, you know, like uh, adoption and traction. And we have done that with Ladybug tools. And I told you, we are like this mentality of like a marathon-like thing of we, and I have this thing, if you survive long enough, you will have the chance to make things better. So it's always like the key is if we, if we can go long enough, then we will have the time and the luxury I think it was a luxury for us to rewrite the whole Ladybug tools to, to make this. But the key was like we, we were long around long enough that we built the reputation. You know? Yeah, you have your foot in the door, right? The people know who you are, what you stand for, why you exist. And now to have, I, I love the analogy of the tree that you gave earlier because it sounds like these apps really are the fruit that people will, will be able to latch onto and just enjoy. But there's also kind of this layer of case study, almost communication, examples of beneficial use of these apps that will actually convince people to want to try them. And so you're halfway there because you have such a track record in the in the industry with Ladybug tools. But I think you also need those. I'm sure you're well aware of this, but for the apps themselves, for people to really adopt and get the traction that you need so that you can affect the industry at scale, because that's actually what's important, right? Is that these apps help architects make decisions and make better buildings that affect the industry and the world at a much larger scale than just 
one little project at a time or on some projects actually is what we should say, right? Because it's not getting evenly used across the whole industry. That's very true. And then do it without compromising the quality. That's that was that has been a big thing for us because again, we are, I mean, uh, automation wizards, I can say. Like we have done any kind of automation. We can do like we can automate the stuff like right, left. But the key was like how do you do automation with education and keeping the quality in a level that it should be? Again, I understand, like, you know, to use the food use a food analogy, like Sometimes you just want a French fries and a hamburger, right? <laughs> to drive through, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want that to be your only option. You want that to be one of the options. And, and there is a place for that. Maybe like every three months in our family, we try that. Maybe not. But for, for the rest, you want to have high quality, affordable food to you know, nourish. Because if you go on a hamburger thing, you're going to get sick. You know, yeah, sooner the health or later. is what I was and, thinking of. Yeah, using this and, analogy, right? And and it's it is uh, it also kind of gives architects and designers agency that they haven't necessarily had before, right? With tools like these, it gives you the agency to stand in the decisions that you make with authority, with have, and and ultimately gives you that agency. Whether that's something that you can then monetize for your clients. I mean, it gives you additional capability, right? And additional capability should be compensated for. And I think that like architects don't think about that enough. And and there's also a disconnect in firms, right? From the people who are doing the work, the people who are doing the business development, writing the contracts, what's included in the contracts, what are the deliverables. But all of these conversations need to be on the table with all of those people at the table so that we can elevate the industry because we're elevating the built environment with tools like these that's the goal and as you said we have a lot of work in front of us and yeah i mean i'm like i think our team is like like, we're not afraid of doing it um and i that that's my my like the reason i'm doing this is because i really want uh everyone and and we we, that's our like ladybug to said like providing you know, simulation is knowledge to every project, every person. I really, we really believe we want every project, every person have access to it. I know not every project, every person will be able to use it anyways, but you have access to it. You, you will have to, if the chance comes, you don't have to build everything from scratch. It should be like Grasshopper was great, but still like, you know, like that it was really hard. Now I wanted to make it easy enough, but keep the quality high enough so I don't, I don't put like garbage in garbage out on a stroid for people. That's, that's the last thing in my life I want to do with automation to just like give people false sense of expertise and understanding that I see a lot with like a simplified tools for the lack of a better term of, I, I see the presentation. I honestly like, I don't know what to do. It's just kind of like, it's very sad that like they, they put like a massing with no window and something. And then they, they do a, like a, Parametric study for massing to just optimize heating and cooling. I'm just, I just want to cry. It's just, or simple. And these things are really bad. You know, when you see, because you just see technology is getting used in the worst shape and form possible. And how can you change that? How can you bring this automation and all this power? And again, I, I'm not even like in optimization right now. I'm just like simple. I have a question. I want to get a better understanding. Help me during the process and give people something that they can trust 
And you know, like if they put a little bit of time of learning, of like understanding, and you can help them during process. Again, that's the thing that we had about like helping them right ask the right question. That's very important. And as I say, like automation in building industry, when it comes to simulation and all those in AI, if you can remove the people 100% from the whole process, I think we have a chance that that will give us a great solution. Otherwise, you will have that moments that the person has to make the call. And if they're not educated, there is a good chance that they're going to make the wrong call based on data, information, everything. I mean, that's our goal, like, right? But you have to bring everyone up by educating them, by making everyone comfortable. And then these tools are just part of the process. No tool is going to solve the whole problem of the whole industry, right? Whatever they are, as good as they are. The thing that makes me want to cry is, since we're, we're in a therapy session right now, <laughs> is uh, the kind of willful ignorance of the tools that, that do exist like these and what, they're po- what, what they can do. Because it doesn't take much to learn the big picture about what's possible and what can be done. And so it's not ignorance, it's ignorance, right? It's like this, they ignore it on purpose at some level because all of the information is available. And so because we live in the information age and because we do have access to any kind of information that we could possibly want at any time on your body, right? Literally at any time. And for that kind of thing to still be ignored with the kinds of crises that we have right now right it that's what makes me want to cry and so when you talk about making you the effort that you have gone through to create tools easy enough for anybody to understand and possibly use right and deploy on a project and not worry about what kind of hardware they have not worry about where they're located not worried about whether they can share it with their team or not, and all of those things. I mean, you went through an incredible effort to make it accessible to anyone, anytime, and actually use it on a project for better outcomes. And that, to me, is, I mean, you've gone through this crazy effort, and for people to ignore that for any reason is would be incredibly sad. It, it is, and I think, like, uh, continuing our, on our therapy session, it's the... the the challenge, I mean, people, the, as an industry, I think, we're not serious enough yet on, on the topic. And that, that's, about, again, like, you know, like I say, like, this thing, like, let me clarify this. I'm a very pessimist and optimist person at the same time. I call it realist. So the thing is, I know the problems that people have and, like, the things that, but there are things that we have to face it. As, as an industry, we're not serious enough. I want to talk to people that, they voice shakes when they talk about these things and the projects are wrong. Not like it, like when you talk to people, it's more of like a feeling of let's go have like a yoga session and like drink some juice, like organic juice and like think how we, like that's not how things get solved. We have real problems. And like it just starts with like saying like we have real, real problems and we have to make an effort to just say, okay, I'm willing to go through a little bit of learning, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of time to, to really take responsibility on this thing. You know, like we shouldn't call CFD color for designer because there's years of like, you know, effort to get us accessible to us. And it's not, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about all the people who did the algorithms, make it available, package this. Like we are just a small thing on top of all this effort that all people have done to make it available. 
And then that it's not even ignorance. I feel like it's more of a it's it's like it, we don't do we really care? Because if we really care, and I said that like I don't remember when was the last time I was talking, like an interview, it's just if you really care, I, like are our buildings looking different from last 10 years to now? Like, are we really looking different? I don't think so as much. You know, and, and why I say looking different, because if you if you are serious about this stuff, the look of your building is going to change your definition of what is pretty, what is, and you have to educate your client, right? Because like there is a, an, a, an understanding of like, what's modern? What do I want? And this takes like real, this is not going to happen with, uh, I don't know, like that feeling good. This happens with real science, real effort, and accepting part of the process is painful. Yes, learning new things is painful. Change is painful. But hey, we are literally putting the world on fire, right? And if you really believe in that, how much time do we spend to get the rendering right? You know, having a background in architecture, I have seen that. We can't see people like, oh, we don't have time. We do have time. We spend it on like making the rendering and send the rendering like back like 20 times because that person, you don't like it. This tree, like, can we add more tree here? Can, who cares at this point? You know, like, put, like, a fraction of that time and budget. And, yeah, in a meaningful, like, how people feel. Like, what, what's my effect of doing this? Do I really provide comfort? You know, is it really comfort? It's just, like, these are, like, you know, I'm getting, like, in a very angry mode. But it's not, it's not because I'm, it's not more of, like, yeah, it's just, like, this is for real people. Like, if you're serious about this. It hasn't been as easy as it is right now. And I'm not talking about only, like, there are tools like Climate Studio. There are great tools out there. There are, like, tools that I don't suggest, but there are tools. I'm not just talking about ladybugs with pollination. Use the tool that is accurate, gives you what you need, answers the questions that you want, and gives you enough control to understand you're doing it right. It doesn't need to be ladybugs. It doesn't need to be pollination. Use whatever is you're comfortable with, and as long as it gives you accurate results. And then take it seriously. Again, like, remember the rendering thing. You have time. You have budget. You put it on rendering. And I understand rendering is how you sell projects. But honestly, like, that's all the time we put in rendering is for a selling project? Or it's just like we have this architecture thing of, like, rendering needs to be perfect and all those. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's about, like, what is really important to you? And then if you get serious about it, I think environmental building simulation, the effect on the environment, how people feel inside the building should go on top right after visualization. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I, that, that was a impassioned soapbox. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and what I'm really glad that you took the time to state your values, because I think that is part of your sales strategy. It should be because uh, you know, as far as the tools that you create and getting people to use them there, if there's an alignment in values you are going to get better outcomes in that. And so I, I appreciate that you're, you have the, that point of view and it, it's you've seen in your products as well. And you're empowering those who have an alignment and values to do the work that you're talking about. So I, all of that is, is part of this grand equation that we're, we've been kind of dancing around this entire conversation, all of the work that's gone into before to make these kinds of things possible and all of the pain that people have endured in learning these new things to get to this point where, like you said, it's never been easier than now to actually make a difference in the built environment during the design process to make the better decisions, right? That, and especially making better decisions earlier 
which is where the architect really makes a difference, right? And and giving us the ability to have the agency to have the accountability in the conversation, in the decision-making, when we're talking with the engineers, when we're talking with the owners, when we're talking with the jurisdictions, to get everybody on board to actually make a difference in the built environment. It's it's absolutely incredible, really complicated web of push and pull, all these things that are going on in there. It's it's. There, yes, and, and again, we are, we, to be realistic, I know, like, I, just let me talk to that 10% people in the offices who are trying to push this forward. I mean, you are my hope, right? Like, you know, I, I the, the reason I, I left and I said, like, let's develop a software for it. Um, and, and the money is not there, you know, like when, when you think about a software, you want to uh, develop something to focus. They say, like, what's the market size and all that. But I think that the way to go in is you have to care about the people who care and empower the people who care. It takes longer, but those are the people who care, who get more people to care and like educate and, and do it right. And, and that's where real change happens. Running simulation by itself adds no value to your project whatsoever. Let me add this thing too. Running simulation is not better than running, not running simulation. I have heard that like any simulation is better than, than not running simulation. Who said that? Like, Running simulation that doesn't inspire your, that doesn't help you to make better decisions. Running simulation that you can't trust the results is a waste of time. Don't do it. Do a favor to me. Don't do it and yourself, right? You, 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 want, you want to do it right. And I think, like I said, it like, takes time, takes energy, everything. But those people, those are the ones, I believe that we have enough people in the industry who care and they will be the ones, and my job is to empower them, to empower more people in the offices to reach the math without, and without like, and with understanding of those people are afraid. Those people have, you know, like there are things that they don't understand. I think this, what you said about ecosystem of, you know, it's, it's tools and it's also community and it's people and like how you build this community of people who, who make it welcoming and who make it in a way that you can share and you can learn. And it's totally fine to come in and say, I have absolutely no idea about this topic. Help me learn. And you cherish that. I think like we need these two hand in hand to stop. And, and I added that thing of like, let's not go for perfection. We can't get hundred percent thing. Like let's, let's do as much as we can. If we, if we have this, I think we will have a healthy equation uh, for a hopeful future of, you know, like, Basically, building better buildings, building better build environment, um, put put the technology in the in the right place, and make the right use of it. Oh man, I feel like every time I do this stuff, at some point, like I feel people, like I hope, I hope if anyone listens and they can't see the faces and everything, this is only voice, right? I'm smiling when I'm saying this. So it's, it's it's in a good vibe, but I I think I care too much about this at some point and just. You have to be serious, you know, like not, uh, I, I use this of saying like, you know, the military and doctors, I think the two profession that they're like the way they educate them, that their training is like serious because if you're not careful, people are going to die, right? Life or death. Yep. Life or death thing. And I don't think in any of their education curriculum, you have this thing of like what they call it in, um, this is the, the thing of like, you just, everything should be nice and you should have positive positivity. They don't do that. I don't think you go through the training and they say, you did a great job. You right. almost... You, the trophy, you almost for, it, the trophy you, for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's great. At some point, you should be telling, like, you don't know this. Like, you have to get better at this. You Let's just get killed better. someone. 
right? <laughs> yeah. Let's just get better. It's okay. It's okay yeah. to be bad as long as you're trying to be better. I think that's one of the things that I see. Like, it's just, we are just so nice when we talk about these topics. Like, everything is fine unless we're a little bit better. The reality is, everything is not fine. Things are on fire. And if we don't get serious, things are going to get worse. And we have a say in this, we have a take in this. Let's just get damn serious. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. It's not your fault. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better. And, and I'm, I'm just, I would love to kind of finish up, wrap up, and, and ask you to let everybody know where people can find out more about ladybug, pollination, all of the things that you're up to. So I'll, I'll include links to everything that you want to go into the show notes so people don't have to search for it themselves. But if you want to let everybody know where that is online, I would appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, sure. So ladybug tools is ladybug.tools, uh, the website. And we have almost all the information there. We have a very active discourse community for Ladybug, which is discourse.ladybug.tools. Pollination is pollination.cloud. And then similarly, there is a discourse.pollination.cloud. And we, for pollination, we have a monthly user meetup, which is a great place if you want to get involved, if you want to learn more. We do presentation on different topics. Uh, I'll do a lot of video tutorials. I'll, I'll share all of that. And then, as I said, we need the help uh, during this uh, process to introduce this to the industry. We have enjoyed the help of a great community and we have the community growing and we, we really need their help with pollination a lot. So if you're listening to this and you care about the topic, uh, just reach out um, and we need your help. And I think like this is, uh, this is the relationship. Like we're supporting you, you support us. And as a result, we hopefully we will get better buildings. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mustafa, for everything, for the tools, for the passion, for everything that you're doing to educate the community, to build the community. I think all of those are uh, worthy efforts and, and they're not easy. And, and uh, I think that, that you know, the, the hard work is definitely on display here. You guys have done an amazing job. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and yeah, that was my own choice. So no one to blame. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. Only can I really, blame yourself. <laughs> yeah, I can blame myself only. And uh, I, I want just really like, like I know I represent Ladybug Tools and Pollination, but it's really uh, our team working on it. And Chris is just every, everything I have done. He has done even more than I, what I have done for Ladybug Tools, uh, of course. And then the whole team that we have and the whole community, like without the team, without the community, Ladybug Tools would have been like a few components that I, Put together some sometime on grasshopper and we'd have been dead by now probably. they lost they would be lost right. on some hard drive yeah. somewhere <laughs> right somewhere so it's not it's, it's I'm, I'm yeah i'm i'm representing it but that's also i'm i'm to blame for but so it is what oh, it is. it's an incredible journey and thanks for sharing your story with us today yeah, I, I appreciate you me. and uh, i'll put links to everything that you brought up in the show notes and uh that's it for this episode so thank you so much yeah thank you Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. 
You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.